You're listening to the Diary Discoveries podcast brought to you by Sally'sDiaries.com. Now here's your hosts, Sally Ivey and Jeff Richards. Well, here we go, Sally. This is Violet's April entries for the Violet and Vic story, and we're having a pretty good time with this. Uh, more than I even expected. I mean, this is definitely one of my favorite diaries, of course, but the response we've been getting is just the emails and the messages. It's it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, there's been some really nice ones, and we really thank you for taking the time to write to us. And again, for anybody that's thinking of doing that, you can reach us at diarydiscoveries at gmail.com. But yeah, you got a nice photo of a lady's mom's cameo. Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling it up here. And she said, here's a pic of my 83-year-old mother's cameo. It flips to a different ring on the reverse side. So on one side of it, it was the cameo. And then she showed me the reverse side, which is a beautiful stone ring. And it says, my mom, Claire's father, got it at an antique store around 1950. Oh, neat. And I thought just, I mean, there's been so many wonderful emails from people. Well, yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. And so we're ready to get started here with this month. And like we said in the last episode, Violet had made some entries in her diary, uh, one that she erased that she talked about the Lindbergh kidnapping case. Right. And we said that we would talk a little bit more about this in this episode. So we're going to do that now. We're not going to do an in-depth, this isn't a podcast about the Lindbergh kidnapping, but we wanted to go over it in case somebody's not familiar with it. It was a major news story in 1934, huge. And so it was natural for people to be talking about it. And like Violet started writing about it in her diary. And again, we don't know why she erased it for sure. But anyway, to start off with, uh, of course, we know Charles Lindbergh was a national hero because he was the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. I learned something yesterday, kind of reading up on this a little bit, that there were two other pilots that actually crossed from Newfoundland to Ireland, but they were together. And they did that in 1919. So he wasn't the first to fly across the ocean, according to what I read, but he was the first to do it solo. And it was uh, quite a feat because he had to stay awake the entire time. And he hallucinated. Well, how long was that? Well, 33 and a half hours was the flight from New York to Paris. Hey, when we head to Utah and we make it a 14-hour trip, that yeah. is plenty for me. We, I can't imagine yeah. 33 hours. We're thinking away. that's a heck of a day, but to double that. Yeah. Yeah. So he did this, and he was met at the airport by, they estimate, over 150,000 people in Paris. There was a big ticker tape parade in New York City. They estimate 4 million people turned out for that. And I always wonder how they get these numbers. I mean, is there somebody out counting? Well, I got right. I got 100 over here. How, what do you got? And then they just add up to 4 million. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That's what it said. It was, But you can see footage of it. I mean, it was an amazing one of those parades with all the confetti flying down. And, and it goes to show you, he was like a movie star at that time. He was worldwide so celebrity. huge. Yes, exactly. So that helps to know just why she mentions Lindbergh. Well, yeah, and the fact that somebody came and took their child. I mean, what a nightmare for any parent. And that happened, what was the date of that? Well, the child was kidnapped March 1st, 1932. A few months later, the child's body was found less than five miles from the home. And so he had been 
killed that evening Terrible. when they took him. Yeah. So two years before the diary was written. Yes. Before Violet's diary. The child was kidnapped around 10 p.m. in the evening was when they discovered him missing. And along with the empty crib, they found a ransom note. And the kidnappers had climbed up a homemade ladder to the second story of their home. And this ransom note demanded money in certain denominations. And the ransom was paid in gold certificates. And so there was 25000 in 20s, 15000 in 10s, and $10,000 in 5s. The gold certificate point is important because later, in 1933, all of the gold certificate notes above $100 were recalled by the government. And that's because the United States was going off the gold standard. Everyone had to turn in all their gold, including those notes. But the lower denomination ones were allowed to still circulate. And that's kind of important because that's partly how they caught the person. So this was a huge tragedy. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew who Lindbergh was and the nightmare of any parent, and the baby is dead. So did he pay the ransom before he knew, of course, before yeah. he knew the baby had died? Oh, yeah. So he, Lindbergh, met with who? Well, Lindbergh and another guy went, and this other man had interjected himself into the case. And again, this is so interesting. And, and I, like I said, people are still writing books about this whole thing because of all the little twists. But a man was communicating with the kidnappers through the newspapers, and he went with Lindbergh, and they met somebody and gave the money. And then that person said, the baby is in a boat off of Martha's Vineyard. And so quickly people went there, yes. and that boat couldn't be found, and there was no child. And then course, we know that the child was already dead. And didn't Vic say something about it being an inside job? Yeah, well, yeah. and that's where we're speculating here, because if he was involved with gangs or the mafia, the organized crime units were involved with kidnapping. And it was going on during Prohibition, and a lot of them were making big money with bootlegging. But then Prohibition had gotten repealed. And after that happened, there was some of the gangs going right into kidnapping and doing more of that than because there wasn't as much liquor to run. So maybe he knew something, maybe he knew who didn't do it. Because a lot of people were under speculation, including organized crime, including the staff. So again, Violet's entry was two years after the kidnapping. Right. And they had not arrested anybody yet. They were still looking at everybody who could have done it. And it's just also with Vic using that lingo, mm-hmm. inside, inside job. job. Yeah. So Vic thought it was an inside job. It was two years still in the headlines, still mm-hmm. a lot of things going on. A lot of people under suspicion. Yeah. People were being slowly, you know, investigated and weeded out. And then uh, the government got involved and passed a law called the Lindbergh Law. And they did that in 1932. It was then amended in May of 34 to include the death penalty for anybody prosecuted for kidnapping. And it gave the government much broader power to jump in. They used the government's power over interstate commerce to get involved with investigating these crimes. And there's an article that I'd like to read a little bit out of because I thought it was kind of interesting how they worded this. It was from the New York Times in... November 4th, 1934, and so I'll just read you that little bit right now. 
So this article was praising how well this new law was working and about how many people they'd already caught. And again, so this was two years after the law had been imposed. And they have in here a a section called a hypothetical case. Suppose you lived in Pelham. Your daughter failed to return from school in Connecticut. About dinner time, the doorbell rang, and there on the sill lay a printed ransom note. What would you do? This is what you should do. Call long distance and ask for National 7117. That is the kidnap number. Within one minute, you would be talking with Edgar Hoover or one of his chief assistants in Washington. Within five minutes, F.H. Fay, head of the Bureau of Investigation in New York City, would have been notified and a car with operatives would have started for your home from the Department of Justice offices on Lexington Avenue. Within half an hour, the entire machinery of the United States government would be enlisted. You would find 1,176 picked government operatives, highly trained in detection and skilled at shooting, immediately at your service. Today, it is better than a 30-to-1 bet that within a reasonable period, your daughter would be returned and her kidnappers viewing the passing scene through a steel-barred door. I mean, that is great journalism. great journalism. (laughs) And as they said, call this number and you might get to talk to Hoover himself. Yeah, right within a minute. Do you have the number? We're going to put that number on our... No, I'm only kidding. (laughs) Yeah. But that is amazing journalism. It is. I love that. And then there's a little part at the end that says, there is no doubt that the snatch racket is disheartened. Most of the old gangs have dispersed with a good percentage of their members enjoying prison leisure. So... (laughs) Well, thankfully, they started this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, uh, what did they have before this? Well, that was part of the problem is because anytime any criminal, and this kind of goes with Bonnie and Clyde and Dillinger too, is that when they would cross state lines, things got way more complicated because the cops didn't even have two-way radios in their cars. So communication was difficult. Cooperation sometimes was difficult. And so you would have this confusion about who did what and where are they now. And so So very interesting interesting times to think about this. Eventually, somebody was caught. And again, those gold notes come into play because the serial numbers had all been recorded. And they started following where those started turning up. And they all started turning up within a certain area in New York City. So they had maps with pins in them and they figured out and they started watching and then they started encouraging people. If you get one of these notes, write down anything about the person that passed it to you. And a license plate got copied down. And when they went to find out where that was, it was a garage and there was $13,000 of the ransom in there. And that belonged to a guy by the name of Hopman, Bruno Richard Hopman. And this was uh, fall of 1934? Exactly. September 19th, 1934. He was arrested with $20 of the ransom on his person. So he had one of the notes and plus the 13000 that was found in his garage. He was indicted for the murder of the child on October 8th, 1934. Wow. The jury was chosen on January 2nd, 1935. The trial started the next day. And then on February 13th, 1935, five weeks of testimony, and with 11 hours of deliberation, they returned a guilty verdict, and he was then sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. Now, he maintained his innocence the entire time. They appealed all the way to the Supreme Court. That failed. Then there was a clemency bid that was rejected, March 
30th of 1936, and he was executed by electric chair April 3rd, 1936. And that was the end of him. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there are people still writing books about this case today because of all the weird twists. And so some suspect that even Lindbergh could have possibly had something to do with it. And, you know, all those theories are still out there. This is why this diary is really an important year. Now, we talked about it at the very beginning with the Dust Bowl, with the, the gangsters, with the Great Depression, with Lindbergh, Bonnie and Clyde. There are just so many things that happened during this year of Violet's life. Truly. Yeah, and so she's got her own thing going on. And we're going to get to that, too. Absolutely. Well, that's it for Lindbergh, and now let's move on and get into Violet's entries for April. Sunday, April 1st. Easter. Spent afternoon with K and B. Mrs. A brought over some chocolates. She's such a dear. K gave my hair a trim, beginning to look like a wild woman. Ironed, bathed. Wednesday, April 4th. Worked. So tired. Love my job, but some days wear me out, and today was one of them. Friday, April 6th. Vic asked me to put boxes of papers in storage room for him. He doesn't trust his family to keep them safe. Nowhere else to put them. Seems off, but have agreed. Saturday, April 7th. Vic got called today. Seemed upset, paced rooms all night. When I asked him, he smiles and says, Business, don't worry about it. But I do. Sunday, April 8th. Stranger at door today asking to see Vic. Vic left with him, kissed me, and left. I am frightened somehow by this. Locked door and was awake most of the night. Okay, so if you're wondering where April 2nd and 3rd is, remember in the beginning we told you that Violet does not write every single day. So those two days are left blank. But more importantly are April 6th, 7th, and 8th. And remember on the website at sallysdiaries.com, you can see uh, there's a page devoted to Vic and Violet. And we've got the cast of characters. Well, at the very bottom, there's one of the characters is the stranger at the door. And that was on the 8th. But we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so April 6th, Vic asked me to put boxes of papers in storage room for him. He doesn't trust his family to keep them safe. Nowhere else to put them. Seems off, but have agreed. Right. What the heck is that all about? So he's got boxes of papers. I want those papers. Boy, wouldn't that be interesting? Whoa, that would be so wonderful to find those papers. I wonder what was in them. Yeah. Some, well, he's got a family he can't trust, I guess. Is it his family or is it the family? (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Really good point. Okay. Then we go to Saturday, April 7th. Vic got called today, seemed upset, paced rooms all night. When I asked him, he smiles and says, business, don't worry about it. But I do. He paced the room all night. and He got a call. 
Yeah, I wonder what's going on in her head. Well, you know what I usually she's do? Got to, yeah, she's got to be concerned. She's got to be concerned. I started researching April of 1934 and what was might have been going on in the gangster mafia world. I can't say too much about my research right now because it might tie into something else later on. So you're going to have to listen to more episodes to see kind of what I was thinking. And we're going to have some fun guests too. So that's all coming up. And it might have to do with these entries in April. And then there's April 8th, one of my favorites. Stranger at door today asking to see Vic. Vic left with him kissed me and left. I am frightened somehow by this. Locked the door and was awake most of the night. Yeah, what a weird thing. Yeah. Somebody knocks at the door, asks to see Vic, and Vic leaves with him immediately. So... And this is her apartment. This Oh, that's right. This is her apartment. So, yeah, things are... And this is only April. Mm-hmm. She's only known the man for four months. And there's already strangers showing up at the door, and he's asking her to hide things for him. So yeah. why didn't he have his consigliere do What it? color flag is that? <laughs> That's a red one for sure. So uh, more clues, more clues in the life of Violet and Vic. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have Violet continue. Monday, April 9th. Work today. Totally exhausted. Not much sleep. Can't stop thinking about man who came after Vic. Gave Mrs. A rent. Ironed bed early. Tuesday, April 10th. T moved in with B. Says it is closer to work, but I think they just want to be together. I'm happy for them. Wednesday, April 11th. Baked cake for B and T. Helped T unpack. He's like a child in a candy store, flittering around, redecorating, making it cozy. Friday, April 13th. Vic returned. All is fine. Had to make some adjustments to the business. Laughed when I told him how scared I was when he left. Still doesn't tell me what's going on. Wednesday, April 18th. Vic is thinking of moving here. What a joy to my ears. I will get to see him more and we can truly become a couple. Friday, April 20th. Took Kay and Jay to Albany for dinner and dancing. Have not been out for so long. Told Kay of Vic's plans. She wants Jay to do the same. Well, that stranger at the door, that got her pretty concerned. So she wrote on the night that she worked and was totally exhausted, didn't get much sleep, can't stop thinking about the man that came after Vic. And you know what? I was just thinking this. It just came to my mind. Somebody shows up at our door. I have no idea who it is, and said, you got to come with me, Jeff. And you turn to me and say, hey, I'll be back. And you don't show up for several days. Yeah. I'd be like, what the heck's going on? Mm -hmm. It'd be kind of weird, yeah. And without the convenience of cell phones. Yeah, so I would have been exhausted myself and not been able to sleep and wondering if the stranger's going to show up again. Well, who else might show up? Yeah, yeah. Well, Sherman probably could take care of that stranger. <laughs> Good old Sherman. Good old yeah, Sherman. yeah. Where's he uh, with well, this vicious dog? They could have turned him loose on him. Sherman's got more to <laughs> add. <laughs> Without saying, yeah. So, and then Todd and Barnaby they move in together. Uh, she talks a little bit about that, and then Vic returns on April thirteenth. 
Friday the 13th? Everything's fine. And he laughed when mm-hmm. I told him how scared I was. Yeah. That's what she wrote. And then April 18th, Vic wants to move in. What a roller coaster she's on. Huge roller coaster. I mean, one minute, you know, she meets him at the party. Then she's whining and dining. He's buying her all kinds of gifts. And then they're seeing each other a little bit more. And strangers are showing up at the door. He leaves. And now he comes back and says, hey, I need to move in. Was there a reason he needs to move here? Good question. Yeah. Well, other than she's thinking maybe to be with me. Yeah, true. Well, <laughs> or to get away from some people. Or to get away from some Possibly. We're, we're just saying, you know, just thinking about what could be happening. And then the very last entry, it was April 20th, and they all headed to Albany for dinner and dancing. Mm-hmm. Which, she, well, and she told Kay of Vic's plans, and Kay said she wants Jay to do the same. Yeah, Johnny G. Mm-hmm. Johnny G. I say it all the time. I have to say it. <laughs> there he is. It's easy. It comes <laughs> off the lips real well. Which brings us to the point. After that, there are no entries. So from April 21st through the 30th, there are no entries in her diary, which is odd because almost every month has a few blank pages, but not that many. Yeah. So... You know, with diaries, I always speculate, you know, and a lot of times when I do research, which we've been doing, we've been researching this diary quite a bit, I try to find out, well, what might have happened in the life of that person? Sometimes, again, the erased pages, sometimes there's torn out pages. So just because she didn't write doesn't mean she didn't have anything to talk about. We haven't found out what might have happened during that time in her life, but something I think something might have happened. She was either sick and she couldn't write or she was gone, but I don't know. I'm, we're still speculating. Yeah, like normal life. Mm-hmm. But again, all of the emotions that she's felt in this last 10 days, there's a lot going on. Yeah. You know, this guy shows up and Vic leaves and then five days later he's back you know, and again, they don't talk to each other every day. She had no way of getting a hold of him. Well, things that's, are going on. That's the, April. Yeah, the relationship is progressing. And I think it would be fair to say maybe this last part of the diary that she didn't write is the calm before the storm. Oh, well, okay. Okay, there you go. Well, thank you again for listening, and we will have the next episode out in a week. We hope that you'll come back and join us, and we'll hear what goes on in May. Thanks, everybody. For more information about Sally and her diaries, go to sallysdiaries.com.